0: Connect to more. we are back to Nuanez Now, 102.9 ESPN Missoula, Statewide Television, SWX Montana TV. Happy Tuesday to everybody. I thought it was Wednesday when I introed the show. (laughs) So, y'all excited to give you some wings, but instead we gave you sandwiches. That was just part of the first hour. If you missed anything in the first hour, you can track it down on the podcast, N-U-A-N-E-Z. That's all you got to search, or just Nuanez Now. You'll find the podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Sean Rainey from SWX Montana. Was in studio with us to begin the show. We also had Tucker Sargent in for the first segment. Tucker Sargent, University of Montana lacrosse coach. His team swept North Dakota State over the weekend. Uh, big wins for Grizzly Lacrosse, so he broke all that down. We had a nice outside the box conversation about where lacrosse athletes fit in and in the realm of the greater sporting world. Uh, we also talked a little Bobcat football. You cats have a spring game on Saturday the Sunny Hall and Classic, so wrapped about that for a little bit, and then also gave our Treasure State stars, breaking down some of the best performances from across the state of Montana. Some breaking news here, about to put this on Twitter as well, but I guess I'll articulate it real quick. Three new entries from the Grizz football team into the NCAA transfer portal. Bryson Deming and Braden Deming, a couple of redshirt juniors, they're twins from Billings West. Bryson is a tight end, and Braden is a defensive lineman. They are both into the portal, as is Trace Latexier. Latexier is a redshirt senior and a former Class B star out of Boulder, Montana. So those three guys all moving on as the Grizz now completed their spring football season. So more on that. uh, SkylineSportsMT.com. Uh, a little later on this evening. No time for that right now, though, because we have to go to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line. Time for one of our favorite segments. We do this every other Tuesday. Now we're finally back on track. Now that I've been back in the saddle here, it is a business angle with Justin Angle from the University of Montana Business School. And Justin, thanks so much for being with us, my man. How you doing? I'm doing well today. How are you doing, Coulter? Very good. uh, It's good to have you, especially when I am riding solo, because I hate talking to myself, but I love talking to uh, (laughs) educated and smart guys like you. So tell me this, I know that you are uh, a professor at the university, but also a big sports fan, particularly of the university's team. So have you been following all the spring action that's been going on? Because right now it seems like pretty much every sport that there is that can be played at Montana besides basketball is being played right now.
2: I know. It's just great to see, you know, our student athletes kind of getting after it. I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway for me. I mean, I was not at either of the the home football games, but just kind of being on campus. I was in my office Saturday afternoon, um, running around when the game let out. And it's just wonderful to kind of get a glimpse of what, A college campus kind of should feel like people walking around wearing their Grizz gear, happy after a win, students soaking up the college experience. I mean, that that was kind of special to be around and, uh, you know, hopefully a a sign that things are going to be even more uh, exciting in the fall.
0: When it comes to that element, I know, I know you probably can't reveal and or confirm too much, but th- does it feel like uh, as, as maybe we move towards this upcoming fall semester, which in terms of the return of football, first and foremost, but a lot of other factors seems like it's going to be one of both paramount importance, but also maybe some enthusiasm around the University of Montana campus. But does it feel like Montana's getting back on track just in terms of, you know, tr- trying to uh, right the enrollment woes of the last several
2: years? You know I think so, and i you know let's take let's go back to before covid i mean I think of a lot of a lot of the leading indicators for the the twenty twenty one academic year were were quite good until it looked like you know the shutdown was going to continue into the fall, and then higher education in general just got got um got hit pretty hard as we've talked about, but at that point, you know it looked like some of the enrollment indicators were really good and the enrollment indicators we have for this coming fall, I, I think are, are are quite positive, you know, and I'm not sort of officially read into any of this data, um, but just looking around, you know, you see a lot of popular press about increased demand for higher education in general, and then if you look at kind of the, you know, the COVID migration, if you want, if you will, you know, people have figured out that Missoula is a desirable place to be, whether they're coming here for remote work or whether they're coming here to study. You know, I think there has been an influx into into our state, into our city. And those all um, indicate, you know, are strong indicators for, for enrollment. Beyond that, you know, I think one thing that is a... Um, and it's kind of a side benefit or, you know, a silver lining of the COVID experience has been, you know, institutions aren't really built to change fast. Yet, uh, last spring, we had to change really quickly. We all had to adapt to, to, to COVID and remote learning and innovating and in how we package and deliver our curriculum. And um, that's going to have enduring benefits in creating a more agile university that's more poised to respond to the needs of students, the needs of employers, um, and other constituencies. So, yeah, I'm pretty bullish on the future. And you know, maybe it's just because the sun is out, but um, yeah, being positive is... Uh, yeah, I think it's a little contagious at the moment.
0: <laughs> it's amazing how uh, after six to eight months of straight gray, what a little sunshine will do for your optimistic attitude, no question about go. it. Justin Engel joining us here on Nuana's. Now it's a Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Do this uh, every other Tuesday here on 1029 ESPN Missoula. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, transpirings in the wide world of sports. One thing that we don't have the on the outline, but I wanted to ask you about this, Justin, is uh, Alex Rodriguez, uh, former incredibly lucrative and uh, well-earning, and if not for steroids uh, implications, Hall of Fame shortstop, he has now purchased um, big shares in both the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx. So is, is this a story you've tracked? And if so, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's of a piece with something we talked about um you know, a few weeks ago, LeBron James kind of taking uh, part ownership of the the ownership group that owns the Red Sox and several other properties. And there was a story out um, just this morning: Dwayne Wade has taken ownership of a, of a pro franchise as well. So, you know, I think we're seeing athletes moving into ownership of franchises. And you know, I, I, I think to me is what it signals is, is athletes are are wanting some of the power. Um, and I don't say that in, in, in any kind of negative light. I mean, the, uh, the, in many ways, the owners are where the power centers are for these organizations. And, you know, athletes are trying to seize some of that control. And, and beyond that, you know, if you think about it, you know, this is of a piece with some other themes that we've talked about in these conversations. You know, what is the sort of content that has you know, unique ability to draw people in at a particular time at a particular place. And that's live sports programming. So beyond just athletes wanting to maybe be part of ownership and control, um, the franchises, I think it's a smart investment. It's a, it's a piece, uh, it's a content generation device, you know, professional sports franchise that has scarcity built in and has unique appeal, Because it is one of the few remaining content assets that is available only when the content creator says it's available. Um, And so I I think if you want to be in the media business, I think owning a a, a sports franchise is probably a pretty savvy investment.
0: This is really interesting. This is the first part of this uh, outline that you presented to me, but this is fascinating. This this is a report out of the New York Times today. Top European soccer teams form breakaway leagues. So I'm just going to straight up read the first two paragraphs of this because it puts it very concisely and very aptly. And if you don't know... The only franchises on planet Earth that are sports franchises that are worth more than NFL franchises are these big-time European soccer franchises. These are multi-billion dollar franchises. Their asset value is just unbelievable beyond comprehension, honestly, blowing away any American sport by a long shot. So this is a dateline from London. A dozen of the world's richest and most storied soccer clubs on Sunday announced they had formed a breakaway European club competition that would, if it comes to fruition, upend the structures, economics, and relationships that have bound soccer for nearly a century. After months of secret talks, the breakaway teams, which includes Real Madrid and Barcelona in Spain, Manchester United, and Liverpool in England, Juventus and AC Milan in Italy confirmed their plans late Sunday. They said they plan to add at least three more founding members holding midweek matches that would put the league in direct competition with the existing European Champions League and begin play as soon as practicable. So, Justin, this seems like a big deal. We've talked about this sort of common narrative of how do uh, sports and league ever and, ver- and etc earn uh, autonomy you know when is an independent Entities form its own NCAA tournament, or, you know, what does the future of the NFL look like per- pertaining to uh, this recent TV deal with Amazon? There's so many different ways the sports are rapidly changing when it comes to uh, in- individual organizations on all levels finding autonomy. But break this one down for us a little bit more because these teams have a lot of money. What are the advantages and disadvantages of these teams maybe going independent and breaking away from the European Champions League?
2: Well, oh, gosh, I, you know, and I am not. Super informed on the structure of European soccer, but it is it is it basically the way it works is you know each country has its its federation, and teams play a normal schedule within that federation and then they the better teams uh, that sort of went out of those of those uh, you know those country leagues are able to compete in the Champions League across Europe for sort of a, a, a champion of europe so it 's sort of the champions championship. And that's been a model for, you know, quite a long time. And, you know, these teams, the Real Madrid's, the Barcelona's, the Manchester United's, I mean, those are like, like you mentioned before, they're like the New York Yankees sort of profile franchises. And those teams, they don't want to play these, you know, small time, regular season games with small market teams that kind of just interrupt their schedule, right? They'd rather play each other. They'd rather be able, and the owners, I'm sure would rather be able to put like a, you know, a blockbuster matchup on the calendar every week. And interesting thing to me is like one of those British teams, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, they have American ownership or partial American ownership. And You know, the design of this Super League had some similarity to the National Football League style of structure. You know, a a smaller number of teams, a closed network, a smaller number of games, trying to create, you know, more blockbuster events with with scarcity, right? And, you know, overall, it seems like this is a big kind of power play. And what we saw today, and this reporting just came online just before we got on the phone, Coulter, is that it appears the deal is maybe falling apart. Um, Manchester City, one of the other British teams in the mix, has decided to pull out, and Manchester United announced that their you know executive VP will be who is who is kind of one of the architects of this deal is going to be leaving um, the team at the end of the season. So you know, I think you know, the response to this program or this proposal for the Super League has been pretty negative from fans, from other teams in the leagues, and even from politicians, right? Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the UK, you know, saying that they're looking at legislative options to block this. So it's, it's a real test of who has the power. FIFA announced that they might penalize the teams that go into the Super League and tell them that their players would not be allowed to compete in the World Cup for their respective countries. So some real threats, who knows if they're idle or not, but at least it got the attention of Manchester City, and if some of the teams are pulling out already before this thing gets off the ground... um, it's a story to watch. It's got all the kind of you know tra- trappings of, uh, of international intrigue, drama, money, um, <laughs> all sorts of dimensions. It's a fascinating story. Justin Engel joining us on the Rangers Brothers RV phone line. It is the
0: Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications talking european league soccer and the potential uh, reshuffling of what's been the structure for more than a century what are the what are the biggest uh, points that people are arguing against i mean why do people not like this why why has the backlash
2: been uh, largely uh, objecting of this move i mean i think a lot of it is the claim that just hey this is the rich getting richer sure right you know, if the Yankees and Red Sox could just play all 162 games against each other and, and replicate mm-hmm. the ticket revenue mm-hmm. and the view and the, and the ratings, all 162 games. I mean, from an economic standpoint, that that's what they would want to do. Well, it's like it's like so, the it's
0: like the infamous line of David Stern on the Jim Rome show, uh, probably 20 years ago now, probably early 2000s when Shaq and Kobe were still playing for the Lakers. And Stern infamously said on Jim Rome's show, Jim Rome asked him just from a pure business and money standpoint, Commissioner, what is the ideal finals matchup to you? And he said, well, yeah. Jim, the ideal finals matchup to me would be the Los Angeles Lakers playing the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> and so that's a, you're exactly right. Red Sox, Yankees, 162 times
2: a year. From a business standpoint, it's what you'd want. Yeah. And so these teams, you know, they, they maybe looked at it like a power grab, a money grab. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a test of... you know, where the power is in, in football. I mean, I mentioned before, like, there's this kind of alphabet soup of acronyms of governing bodies running the show here, and, you know, it seems pretty diffuse. And then you take this Super League of 12 teams, 12 teams that have the best players in the world and the biggest budgets and the most fans, and it was an effort to kind of concentrate power and really kind of You know, like I said before, make each game a blockbuster, but really kind of set the terms for how, you know, just set set the field such in a way that they don't have to play with the little guys if they don't want to. But seems like not only did the little guys sort of fight back but the, the the traditional power structures, um, the governments and uh, FIFA and some of the other players just decided, no, we're not going to let these teams leave, and there's going to be consequence and you know I saw images of like you know protesters outside of team headquarters, you know much like we saw during the um, during the you know the the uh, what was it the uh, I can't remember the name of the protests, but the ones for on Wall Street years ago, right? Fighting the hedge fund managers or whatever it is. So I, I you know, I think the public and the fan base was like, no, we can only take so much of the rich getting richer. Justin
0: Engel joining us. That's a business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. We don't have time to get into the streaming stuff because we do have to get out here in a second. We'll wrap back around sure. with the, this uh, this explosion, or I guess at least uptick, in streaming of Major League Baseball games on MLB TV. Uh, it seems like the the conversion to streaming has made it more accessible. I think there's probably fantasy baseball and gambling elements to this surge as well. But before we let you go, Justin, we've talked a lot about a lot of different things in terms of... Um, the financial world, and and there was this interesting overlay between sports, social media, finance, and uh, cryptocurrency, per, and, and as well as the stock market. When we had the uh, the entire uh, phenomenon with GameStop, well now we have another financial phenomenon going that is sort of has this similar overlay as well in terms of uh, influencers, particularly guys that are in the sporting world, uh, maybe. At least having a say in the explosion of cryptocurrencies, particularly Dogecoin. So, what do you know about the Doge, and uh, how, how empty or full uh, is this uh, sudden rise of this recently non-existent and now suddenly surging cryptocurrency?
2: Yeah, I mean, Dogecoin sort of started as a joke, right? I mean, that was its that was its sort of origin story. It started as a spoof currency. And yet now we're seeing like, it's this like crazy shakeout period with cryptos. I mean, Bitcoin's been around a while. Ethereum seems to have some unique attributes as as a platform and the rise of NFTs and these smart contracts uh, on the Ethereum platform or the Ethereum blockchain. That is interesting. What's happening with Dogecoin just kind of baffles me. And it feels a little bit similar to the GameStop phenomenon, you know, that there's, there's some money on the sidelines that is, that is playing in this space. And, you know, I start to think I understand it. And then I realize I I don't understand it at all. Um, and it's such an interesting time because it's, you know, I think people are, there's a lot of money floating around in the economy. Um, for a variety of reasons you know the asset prices in so many classes whether it's housing or stocks or bonds are way up and that creates a lot of wealth for a concentrated segment of the population and some people might think that this 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 asset inflation over the last several years is, is unsustainable in the traditional investment areas and they're trying to diversify into others um, some people might just have money to play with and are, and are getting speculative in other domains, but yeah, what's going on with cryptos is, is, is kind of baffling. Um, I start to try to get into it to understand it. When I say get into it, not with my own with <laughs> my, my own money. I'm not I'm not yet there, but um, you know, once I start to get a little close to that, I, my brain starts to hurt, and that either tells me that you know this is kind of fake news or that there's something really smart here happening that I need to learn more about. I'm not quite sure which it is.
0: <laughs> well, maybe we'll have a more clear view of it here uh, when we circle back around later on this month. But Justin, Indeed. a pleasure as always tell people uh, you are not only come on this show every other uh, Tuesday, but you also have a whole bunch of other multimedia content, particularly podcasts to consume. So a uh, new angle podcast, something that's been going for quite some time. What's cooking on a new angle?
2: Yeah, a new angle. Today we dropped an episode I I quite like with legendary climber, high mountain climber, Mark Sinnott. Um, He has a new book out called The Third Pole, which um, is an account of he and his colleagues' attempt to find the body of Sandy Irvin, who who was George Mallory's partner on the 1924 Everest expedition. So Mark climbed Everest, searched for the body, and they were trying to search for the camera to document if those two men who were never seen again actually made it to the summit. Uh, it's a riveting book. We had a great conversation. Uh, Mark's not only a great writer, but he's a great communicator uh, on the podcast forum. So I encourage people that are interested in, in outdoors, in the mountains, and mountaineering, to, to check out that episode It posted today.
0: A new angle podcast, the Fireline podcast, Nuance Now podcast, all the above. Rate, review, subscribe. They're all presented by Blackfoot Communications, as is a business angle. Justin, appreciate it, man. We'll catch up with you soon. All right, Coulter, be well. One of our favorites, Justin Angle. Got to get out because Kyle Sample, another one of our favorites, talking all things NFL right after this. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Maybe you have a happy hour in your future. Maybe you're on your way. Great song by Weezer. Thanks so much for tuning in to Nuanas Now, 102.9 ESPN Missoula, statewide television, SWX Montana TV. So many reasons why golf is the best adult activity, or one of, at least, certainly. But one of them is you get to hang out with your buddies in the beautiful Montana Outdoors I know it's sort of contained, it's not like being in the wilderness, but you get to talk and chat and hash things out, get some ideas, banter, discourse, important parts of our society, and that's what we were doing on Sunday, and that's why we're here at the Missoula Broadcasting Studios in the, uh, the darkness of the night, but laying down some tracks for uh, this upcoming week. Kyle Sample joining me, Coulter Nuwanas here on Nuwanez Now, 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Maybe you're watching in-statewide TV, SWX Montana TV. If you're looking at an empty studio, it's because we recorded this a little bit earlier on this week. But there was just a lot of things that we talked about on the course, and we just thought, well, we should just go have uh, a radio conversation about this. So we got through Grizz Football. You heard that earlier this week. We got through uh, some NBA stuff, Steph Curry and the like. Steph Curry versus Damian Lillard. Great debate on that as well. You can always find all this stuff on the podcast. Podcast available on 1029ESPN.com. Just click on the podcast tab or any of your podcast platforms, N-U-A-N-E-Z, to search that. Rate, review, subscribe, five stars preferred. And uh, Blackfoot Communications, the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel, Sportsbed Montana. the proud presenters of the Nuana is Now podcast. But one more thing, Sam, I wanted to get uh, wrapping about a little bit is the San Francisco Forty ers I know it's funny because I have a couple, I have kind of this stable of of guest hosts now that come on and and hang out with us and, and talk all th- things sports. And sometimes when we're talking national sports, we we gravitate toward uh, the NFL first and foremost. But then oftentimes uh, the teams of some of the uh, these guest hosts like. I know that Mike Nugent joins us uh, pretty regularly. He's a 49ers fan, and Sample's a 49ers fan too, and that's why these guys are friends primarily, right? This is kind of how you guys got It's class. the only reason. <laughs> but regardless, uh, we're not just trying to, to uh, give platforms to Homer-like fans. I just think these guys are both smart when it comes to the analysis of their teams. But more importantly, we're not just talking about the 49ers because Sample likes the 49ers. We're talking about the 49ers because right now, I think the 49ers have the most interesting position uh, in the upcoming NFL draft. They are going to be the domino that pushes everything over. It seems pretty apparent that, well, I, I think it's a guarantee that Trevor Lawrence is going to Jacksonville with a number one pick. Number two, it uh, seems like the New York Jets are really gravitating towards Zach Wilson from BYU. Maybe they pull a fast one, I don't know, but I haven't heard hardly any scuttle. I can't really imagine them taking uh, Trey Lance uh, or Mac Jones at number two. The only one that maybe could sneak in is, is Justin Fields from Ohio State. But regardless, it seems then like the first round of the draft, if Zach Wilson, that leak is in fact valid, that the first round of the NFL draft is going to start basically when the Niners, with the number three pick, are on the clock. I have my opinion on this. I've stated it on this show multiple times. But what is your opinion? They, they obviously are going with the quarterback, but which one?
1: They have to draft Justin Fields.
0: See, I totally agree with this. I don't understand why that's not
1: the consensus. I think Mac Jones's agent just like released a lot of stuff. Like I don't get like I don't get this idea that they would trade two draft picks and trade up in another draft and and the other uh, two first round picks and then the other picks that they traded um, to get Mac Jones like if if you think Jimmy Garoppolo is not your guy and he's 29 and so many people are saying Mac Jones really is so similar 29? to him that's yeah. crazy yeah and so so many people are saying that Mac Jones is similar to him why are you doing that? Like, why would you trade? Why would you trade for just a younger version of a guy? Yeah. Contract. Sure. Maybe. But like, you don't have to pay Jimmy Garoppolo this year. Here's a hot take.
0: I know why Mac Jones is sort of polarizing because he, he only had one year under his belt as a starter. He played on an offense at Alabama where quite literally the guys that were his skill player personnel are, uh, all three like NFL caliber starter guys like pretty much right out the gates. Like I think that Najee Harris will absolutely just at least be in the mix. Uh, you know, one or two like Jonathan Taylor was this year for the Colts before Marlon Back got hurt. You know, in the mix for a lot of carries, 150 plus carries right away, and. Uh, What's the receiver's name? What's the scheme receiver's name? Devonte
1: Devontae Smith, Smith, Jalen Waddle, and
0: Jalen Waddle. I think both those guys are absolutely bare minimum in the rotation for an NFL team straight out the gate, and, and likely Starters. top top three or, or even top two. They they are, As, and so it, it this is a it, it used to be completely invalid to say that oh this college team could beat this NFL team or this guy had better personnel, whatever. But th- it is true that Mac Jones will likely have better personnel in the NFL excuse me, he had better personnel at Alabama than he will his first year in the NFL, depending on where he goes. That wouldn't be the case in, in San Francisco, although I do think those receivers are both better than uh, all but Debo Samuel for the 49ers. Uh, the, I mean, those guys, right? Like, wouldn't Smith and... I mean, Ayuk
1: Wals- is, is nuts, but... Ayuk is
0: good, good, for sure. But, like, if they got one of those two Alabama receivers, right, both those guys would start for the 49ers. They'd be in their top three, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, so I mean, that's, that's what I'm getting at. So, but my... My hot take is that I think the back Jones is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he has a, a much higher ceiling.
1: I just don't know. I just don't get it. Like, I just don't know how people say, I just don't know how you evaluate Mac Jones. So, okay, so let's,
0: let's talk about this. It is what it is, but how do we get to the point in analyzing quarterbacks coming out of college where it used to be, if you were the quarterback of the National championship team that had one of the 10 most prolific offenses in the history of college football, that there was no way you could be anything but like a top 10 pick, and, and you, there's no way you could be sort of... I mean, this, Mac Jones, truly, based on all the hype, and, and not just the recent bias, but the last year or so, Mac Jones is objectively the fifth quarterback in this draft. He's the fifth quarterback in the first round. He's only recently moved into the same conversation as Fields or Trey Lance, but fifth. But, so what happened in the NFL? What happened in the evaluation process to make it so that the guy who threw for a million yards was a finalist for the Heisman, was on the national championship team, is not
1: you know consensus top ten pick? You're talking about Mac Jones. Mac Jones, yes. I mean, I maybe he's just not like that talented. Maybe he's not. Like I, I don't know. I'm not a talent evaluator, but like maybe he doesn't have the arm that you're looking for. He seems like he's very accurate, but. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to evaluate a guy when you have that much talent around you. Like, it is. I'm not going to say he's Ken Dorsey, but was Ken Dorsey any good? Yeah, but like when you watch Ken Dorsey and Craig Krenzel and those Ken guys. Ken Dorsey didn't have an arm at all. No, right.
0: Like, Mac Jones is freaking spinning it, man. Like,
1: Mac Jones throws a good ball. He throws a good ball, but I don't see how you trade that much stuff for Mac Jones if you think he's like just a little bit better than Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, you could talk about ceiling and all this stuff, but. Justin Fields, what he can do on a field, is so much better and like does a lot of things in the 49ers' offense that just makes him so difficult to defend.
0: Nuanes now, 1029 ESPN Missoula. Kyle Sample joining me, Coulter Nuwanez, in studio. And that brings me back around to what I've been ranting about for weeks now is that I think there's this Semi new within the last 10 or maybe even like six to eight years, new phenomenon where you can watch every game. Everybody has all this film out there. A lot of these quarterbacks coming out of high school are super developed and super, super advanced in their ability to run schemes. So you do have guys like Fields who, you know, commits to Georgia, goes there, and then transfers to Ohio State. He's a starter as a redshirt freshman. You got guys like Justin Herbert who break into the starting lineup as a freshman. And they can handle it, and then all of a sudden they become three and four year starters, and ironically, because of that, it's why we tear them down. Th- there was this whole narrative of, of Justin Herbert twofold: one, he's a system guy; he's running this Oregon, you know, spread where he doesn't have to make any reads. Part of that's true, but that's also why when he got to the NFL, he was even better because his his best attributes are thrown on the run, being in the pocket, being a big, strong guy who's athletic. He didn't have to do that in Oregon because it was just one, two, three, check down, whatever. He just had it open at all times. But then there was also this narrative around Herbert that he can't win big games. He, he folds in big moments. Well, my argument always is he went to a variety of big games. So that in itself should be taken as a a tribute to him. That should be a plus in his scouting factor. It's the same thing with fields. Like, Fields, I think, threw fifty touchdowns, fifty plus touchdowns, and two interceptions, two seasons ago, and then this year he was like, "quote unquote" more pedestrian, but he was like forty and eight or whatever, and so then because of that, then there's more knocks on him than than hype, and I just I don't I don't get it because I think that he himself. I mean, who does he remind you of? Because I really don't even think he has an NFL comp. Because he has certain elements of other guys, but he's he's bigger than most mobile guys. He throws it really well. He's athletic, and I, I just think and, and he's been the dude. He knows how to handle the spotlight. He's been the dude since he was in high school. So I, I just don't get what the knock is. I mean, I just don't get how people forgot that he threw six touchdowns against Clemson in the college football playoff like less than three months ago.
1: Yeah. I I mean I'm, I don't know the comparison. I you're right. He has like a lot of elements of other quarterbacks. I don't I don't. There isn't somebody who like jumps out at me honestly. But right. Like I follow 49ers Twitter and uh-huh. it is like it is crazy to watch the narratives change. Like uh, we're getting Deshaun Watson. No, we're not. We're tr- we're trading for Mac Jones. Uh, Justin Fields isn't good enough. Justin Fields is our guy. Uh, Trey Lance might be our guy. Like. I just think it's the NFL draft. Like, they just need storylines. If you watch, sure. like, Get Up in the Morning, That's like, for sure. what they talk about is, like, what are you talking about? Did you guys just, like, were like, oh, we have to fill a show. So, like, let's just create something. Create controversy. Like, yes, create controversy. Let's talk about how uh, Justin Fields doesn't get through his progressions. Well, I'm sorry. Like, he didn't always have to get through his progressions at Ohio State. But when he did, I, I think the numbers show that he had like the highest rating of any of these quarterbacks when he moved on to his second, third, or fourth progression. Like right. d- these these narratives are just like created by these morning shows, I think, that just need something to talk about because they're on every day for two to three hours.
0: Uh, it's so true. Like there's this narrative that emerged where uh, he has he has he struggles when he's not throwing from a clean pocket, and then they show film of him playing against Alabama and Clemson, and it's like, well, okay. You're playing against the – you are – it's so tiered now where when you're playing Alabama and Clemson, you actually are playing against mostly NFL guys. So that's the best film, and that's my whole argument is a guy like Zach Wilson, he has some impressive film. He has some impressive talent, some impressive intangibles, but I was trying to articulate this on the show last week. BYU's offensive line is so much better than the level that they're playing at. So he's throwing from a clean pocket all the time. And so it's very hard to analyze because transitionally, he's not going to have that dominant of an offensive line. I'm not saying BYU's offensive line is better than any NFL offensive line. In fact, it's not. It's It's just so much better than the competition. BYU's offensive line, which has two guys that are, I think are going to be top 100 picks going against Wyoming is totally and utterly different than Ohio State going against Alabama, who has three like top 50 picks on the defensive front. You know right, what I'm saying?
1: Right. You're see you going to see Justin Fields make off-schedule throws. That's important in the NFL because you're going to make off-schedule throws a lot. Your feet are not going to always be set. You're going to have to readjust or whatever. That's exactly why you Herbert that took a the lot. lead by yeah, storm, right? Yeah, yeah, he did that a lot. Um, like Fields is just like he does that a lot. Like he runs out of the pocket. He has to reset his feet all the time. He's super athletic. I just think he fits into the 49ers offense so much. And like these people who are detractors of him, right? They get a point to, Oh, well he didn't light up Indiana. Indiana was pretty good. Indiana's oh, he didn't, oh, he didn't sure. line up uh Northwestern. Northwestern has two pros in their secondary, right? Like maybe he didn't make great adjustments throughout that game, but. It's one game, so they just point to this game, and I was just like, "Well, he didn't do that." Mac Jones, like, I'm sorry, Missouri is just not good. Like, sure. w- who did he face? Right. That had a really good secondary, and like, he's throwing to Devonte Smith, who is so his talent is talented, so outsized for college football. Like, and Jalen Waddle, like, it's 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 insane the level of receivers that he had. I, I don't know if the 49ers don't draft Justin Fields. Kyle Shanahan has a lot of pressure on him. Like he can he, get he, he fired.
0: No one is now 102.9 ESPN Missoula statewide television SBX Montana TV. Do you watch those coaching clinic videos on Twitter? Nick Saban does them sometimes.
1: Yeah, I watched the one where he told a really funny story about his uh, his wife and oh, who his wife dated. It was hilarious. Interesting.
0: Well, the one I'm referring to is when Nick Saban basically had this moment of um, vulnerability where he talked about the the time period where he fully accepted and had to absorb that college football has become more like a tennis match where it's serve and break serve and his analogy was that his theory as a head college football coach for decades was that a a good uh, scoring defense allowed 13 points per game a great allowed 10 and an elite allowed seven and he's like But then the last two years, we've led the SEC in scoring defense, allowing uh, 18 and change and like 21 and a half. And he's like, I just realized that in this game of possessions, like if the other team is going to have 14 possessions or whatever, if you get 11 stops, that's amazing. You're balling. Yeah. And so he was like, okay, so I used to want to beat everybody. Basically, his dream score was like twenty-eight or thirty-one to seven. That was like his dream, and now he's like sounds like Bobby Houck. right? And now, and now it's and Hauk has had this similar evolution where, you know, Hauk used to beat every want to beat everybody like 31-17. and now it's more like uh, forty-two to twenty-one. And Saban said the same thing. Like I, I realized that it, the name of the game it, it has to be scoring because of the rules. And because of the RPO elements, like now you got guys blocking downfield and you can throw right behind them. And I think that's the, at the same time, hardest analysis about a guy like Mac Jones is that Alabama has the best athletes. They got the best offensive line, but they're also the most well coached. They have the best offense. And so even if he's thrown for a million yards, four fifths of them are are just on straight up, pull it and throw it easy. Cause, mm-hmm. cause Smith is open.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You couldn't, there isn't a, College football team, when those when those guys were together, there isn't a college football team that could defend those receivers. I mean, there may not be many NFL secondaries that could line up against those receivers and do that. Especially when you have Najee Harris in the backfield and you could run like play action stuff and like all the RPO things that they would do in their offense. Like that's incredibly difficult to defend, right? I mean they just had a a perfect system that it's pretty much impossible at this point. It's impossible. They had a perfect system that kept opening up for him throughout the season. Todd McShay tells a really good story about it. Um and yeah, he, he had to put the ball on these guys and he did. But in the NFL, I don't know. And I just don't think he's as good as Justin Fields. Like Justin Fields is to me the he's to me the clear number two. I don't think, I think so. Zach too. Wilson is as good as him. I just think that the
0: the NFL has has gotten broken to a certain extent, but I think it's also revelatory about the differences in front offices. And that's one thing I would tell you about the 49ers is I think they have a great front office. I think they have uh, organizational stability. And so I think that they most likely will make the right choice. I think whatever choice they actually come down to make, I think you trust Shanahan to make it a good choice no matter what, even if it is Mac Jones. But regardless, um, I, I just think that some organizations are just flat, dumb, and they wanna they fall in love with the new shiny toy. Like mm-hmm. again, Zach Wilson has good upside, but he also has tremendous bus potential. Like this new shiny toy thing is so interesting. and we've seen so many guys over the last ten, maybe twelve years They get this buzz and then become Mitch Trubisky Mm -hmm. and are signing one-year deals to be backup quarterbacks. Like, I don't know. To me, I just think that there's so much bust potential. So I would always go with the guy who has been really good, especially when he's on an an elite national level too. I mean, Fields has played in multiple college football playoffs and played against multiple top two, three teams.
1: Right. I kind of want to just make fun of what we're doing here a little bit and like trying to project this stuff. And then at a national level, all these guys who were like, the 49ers are taking back Jones. It's certainly happening. The 49ers have taken him. There is one consistent thing that's happened since Lynch and Shanahan took over, and that is that nobody nationally has ever been able to project what the 49ers are doing. Like, nobody saw them trading for Garoppolo. Nobody saw them doing what they did in the draft last year. Nobody saw them trading Buckner. Like, there are so many things that the 49ers do where they just do not... Like, leak things. They don't give this stuff out. So, it's like, where is this information coming from? And that's something that doesn't like sports fans don't really talk about a lot um, because we just want to talk about who's going to be drafted, who's good, who's bad. But, like, how is this information being disseminated? Like, it is changing week to week. Like, how did Mac Jones go from probably bottom of the first round ish to the number three pick where everyone is like certain he's taking him, right? Like, Totally. The, 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 the just like sort of investigation of how these messages are created and how, um, where they're coming from is fascinating to me because nobody knows, nobody has really any clue what is going to happen. So like, we're agents talking about it. We're, we're teams just saying something to like give a guy, uh, a higher stock. Like how these things happen and to watch how these things happen throughout like the last two months leading up to the draft, I think is, is one of the things that should get talked about more often, but doesn't get talked about because it's just not like sexy conversation.
0: 1029 ESPN Missoula, SWX Montana television, or you can watch around the planet earth on the live stream, 1029 ESPN.com. Just click on the listen live tab and you will find the stream. What you just said was is so fascinating to me because I think that this is a really undertold portion of of pro sports, organizational stability, and then how does that lead to leaks or lack thereof? I think that the leaks, especially as you yourself a recovered print journalist and me myself still a uh, an addicted print journalist, uh, you're always looking for the leak. You're always looking for somebody that's going to talk to you. And the more unstable the organization might be, the more leaks are coming out of it. You just mentioned a great point. No one ever knows what the 49ers are doing, but a lot of times people are talking about what they might be doing, and almost always the narrative is wrong. So my question for you is, do you think that perhaps this Mac Jones
1: narrative has leaked because it's a false leak? They're just trying to throw people off the trail. I don't. I really don't think it's coming from the 49ers. I, I don't think Kyle Shanahan just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's like, Hey, we need to dupe everybody. He's he strikes me as the kind of guy, like, even though like his offense is kind of like that, right? Like he mixes things up and he like disguises things and things like that. But their strategy as a as a as an organization, him and John Lynch don't strike me as those kind of guys. I think they're like, We're gonna figure out what we're gonna do, we're not gonna talk about it, but we don't need to throw people off the scent. And especially as where where they are in the draft, right? Like nobody's trading ahead of them. So it doesn't matter what they say they're going to do, who they're going to draft. That's not changing what the Jaguars and the Jets are doing. And Denver's not jumping ahead of them. Nobody's jumping ahead of them. So they don't need to say anything. So I don't think they need to throw anybody off. What I think is happening is that uh, you get paid on a scale, right, as a first-round draft pick. The higher you get drafted, the the more you get paid, and when your client which is the player gets drafted higher the agent makes more money i think there mac Jones' agents are trying to drive up his stock so he gets uh, drafted higher by saying that the 49ers who Kyle Shanahan is he's not done a great job of developing quarterbacks but he's supposed to be like a quarterback supposed to be an offensive identifier right and a and a great schemer Maybe a team is like, oh, did we not, did we not fully evaluate him correctly? If if this guy thinks he's that, so like maybe Denver panics, jumps up to the four, right. and Mac Jones all of a sudden gets goes from pay, being paid two million dollars a year to eight million dollars a year, and that agent goes from making a smaller amount to more. I think I think a lot of these leaks are are driven by that. Is it possible that we see? All five
0: of these quarterbacks go in the first half of the first round.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I don't think that's wise. I think that's another another example of how franchises, like you said, see the shiny object. Yep. Uh, they're like, oh, we can get a quarterback. We don't have the patience of waiting a year, even though we could definitely wait a year and get a quarterback like Sam Howell from North Carolina, but we're not going to do that, so we're just going to draft a guy. Um, the other part of this, I just think it's hilarious that, Um, a lot of these journalists that you follow on Twitter, Mm -hmm. especially just beat reporters, will take this stuff and like run with it. Like this, this, this notion that as a journalist, you have to get this out there quickly to be considered like legitimate or whatever, instead of being accurate first and then like hedging on this, like don't, maybe it's not accurate, don't report it. Like, but they all are like, the Niners are taking Mac Jones. Even Schefter did it,
0: which is crazy that Schefter did it. It's so annoying because the 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 biggest of the big news slash entertainment networks, and we're on ESPN Radio, so I I can't say too much. But oftentimes the reporting, especially if you have good sourcing, if it turns out to be incorrect, you can still fall back on your sourcing and then also it perpetuates the narrative it keeps it going like I had it from a good source that Mac Jones is going to the 49ers but now they've pivoted because I have it from another good source this is why they changed so it makes it so that you can talk about it all the time
1: yeah but there's this also thing that has somehow shifted in journalism where journalists are like I got it from a source right why would you run with what one source says right I don't want to like toot our own horn but when we were reporting out Bobby Houck stuff sure How many sources do we name? Eight. Eight. We waited till we had eight sources on something because we weren't going to screw it up. For sure. I
0: mean, I I broke Brian Holsinger as the new Lady Grizz head coach four minutes before the university announced it because I was waiting on my fourth source because I didn't want just three. Yeah. And I knew it was happening and I knew it was good, but I just, I didn't want to pull the trigger until it was, you know, a new for sure. I needed to have that one. And they have to be unattached too. So regardless, not to bore people with the journalism procedure, but it is important. But I also understand why it happens at the national level. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand why it happens.
1: Totally understand. Like they are forced to get these stories out because their outlets want to be the first, right? They want to, they they need viewers. They need clicks. They need all this stuff. So going off on this tangent, but I just think the reporting of this stuff leading up to it, because that's all we get at this level, right? Like everybody you talk to We just get it second, third, fourth hand through Twitter. And everything that gets put out on Twitter or one of these stories is usually a source said this. What is that source and what is driving the release of that information? And just like the thing that sounds crazy to me is that Mac Jones is the third pick in the NFL draft. Like I was listening to a a podcast with Bill Simmons and uh, Warren Sharpie, he's the guy who works for the Ringer, and they kept being like, the Patriots could draft Justin Fields. It upsets me to no end because the 49ers are drafting Justin Fields. Like, if they don't, they're insane. They're absolutely insane if they take Mac Jones third.
0: I totally agree. And, and I can't believe that it's, the narrative is anything different but that. It's been awesome. Nuwana is now on two 290 ESPN Missoula. Kyle Sample joining me. Coulter Nuwana is talking a variety of things on a Sunday night and uh, loading us up for the week. Thanks for swinging by, man. This has been
1: really fun. Thanks for having me.
0: It's finally starting to feel like winter around here. And if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at MSUBookstore.org or, of course, you can check out the MSU Bookstore